Listen, without further ado, I've been wanting to get Rodney here ever since the day I came. Rodney and Sue have become good friends of Jackie and I. Rodney's very much part of uh, Jubilee Church at Worthing, which is the closest geographically regions beyond church to us. It's where Mick and Pat came from. Rodney's got a real prophetic gift. He teaches on the prophetic. And in this values series that we're sharing, values that shape us, I said, I wanted Rodney to come. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he was unwell. Anyway, now he's here and he's going to come and share. Let's welcome Rodney. It's great. Wonderful. Great to be here. Yeah, I couldn't make it, could I? A few weeks ago, I was, um, I was all wobbly. I was in bed because uh, of this kind of um, labyrinthitis. Um, but that's all right. It's pretty much cleared up. Um, but, um, yeah, it's lovely to be here. And um, we've had a lovely couple of days on the Isle of Wight, Sue and I. We made a little break of it. Um, so that's been nice. I'm bringing greetings from Jubilee Church in Worthing. We are about 45 miles from you, plus the, plus the, um, the water crossing. Uh, however you do that one, so I'm not sure how far that is, um, but add those miles on, and pretty much that's, you know, as a crow flies, we could probably cut the corner off, couldn't we, if you want to run a boat straight along, we are on the coast, land at the pier, and we'll greet you. So, um, yeah, so Mark's asked me to speak on Shaped by the Prophetic, Um, before I do that, I just want to share something with you uh, about what I felt God was um, speaking to me about. I'm... I'm always looking around and thinking, God, what are you saying? Particularly when I'm coming to somewhere like this, I'm thinking, God, what are you saying? Um, and, um, and I just felt God speak to me, really, but it wasn't in that moment. It was really funny. So I, we're at Osborne House yesterday, and we had a lovely time, and it was very calm. I mean, the water was... The Queen Victoria knew what she was doing. The water was really calm just by her private beach. I don't know what, what it was about the royalty there, but it was just great. And, um, and we went around the house, and the house is lovely, and it's impressive, and there's lots to do, and we had a nice tea and muffin and all, everything. But if, if, if Sue came up, I said, Sue, what was the highlight of my day? She would know what the highlight of my day was. Because when we walked around the walled garden... Um, and we couldn't go in the greenhouses, which was a bit disappointing because the wind. But um, there on the wall, growing up on the wall, was this huge lemon tree. And to me, uh, going around Osborne House, that was the highlight. Now, that may sound a bit quirky, but I kind of like plants and citrus plants. I've tried ye- for years to grow lemon trees, much to uh, my failure. Um, but it was really impressive. And then when I was at Mark's house last night and we were just catching up, I just felt God remind me and, 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 and just kind of speak to me about that and about you. So um, I've written this down. I can, sh- I can send this to you, Mark, um, uh, afterwards if you want. Um, but do you know what? Lemon trees shouldn't grow in this country. They really shouldn't, okay? If generally, if you try and plonk one outside, it will be dead over the winter, but this one clearly was not like planted in the spring. It's been there for years. I don't know how long it's been there. Um, but it was up against this south-facing wall, and it's obviously in a microclimate near the coast on a sheltered spot. And I felt God say that Apex Church, God is growing you against the south-facing wall. That's what he's doing. He's growing you. God is a gardener, if you didn't know. And he grows. He grows churches. He grows people. 
And he's growing you against a south-facing wall. And what that means is that he's growing a church that you wouldn't expect to normally see. Just like the lemon tree, you're thinking, what is that doing there? I can't believe that's there. And it was, you know, I'll come on to that in a minute. But um, God is growing something that you would not normally expect on the Isle of Wight. Um, and he was saying in this that you will not be limited by your setting or your geography. And so therefore, it's important for you to hear that because you don't want to take on board a mindset. I mean, I don't know. I've never lived. I have lived on an island. It's a very big one. It's called uh, Mainland UK. But <laughs> it doesn't kind of feel like an island. So, so if I say I've never lived on an island, that's what I mean. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. That, this phrase is like island mentality, isn't there? I don't even know quite what that is. But I felt God saying, you mustn't limit yourself with an island mentality or a sense of what can and can't be achieved here. And don't be limited by previous history or experience. And we all come with history and baggage, don't we? Do you see the lemon tree? It was healthy. What I mean by that was very green. I know, I know what an unhealthy lemon tree looks like. It's usually the one I'm trying to grow. And the leaves fall off and everything, and it's a disaster. And then you're thinking, why did I waste 30 pounds? But this lemon tree was healthy. It was really green. Um, it was very substantial. It wasn't a small little stumpy thing. It's this huge thing against the wall. And it was very fruitful. I didn't count the lemons, but there were an awful lot of them. It was quite remarkable. And that is the church God is saying, I want to grow here. That is the church I want to grow here at Apex. So God is saying, I want to grow a healthy church. Okay, A church where people know who they are in Christ and particularly where they have the life of Christ flowing through them. That's what he wants to do. He wants to infuse you with the life of Christ. This lemon tree is healthy because, you know, this kind of stock is healthy. And we're grafted onto Christ and the life of Christ comes through. And that's what he wants to build. A church characterized by life. And I felt as well that the needy and the desperate will also find health and freedom under your shade. He wants to build a substantial church. Interesting phrase, um, you'll be bigger than what you would expect, proportionate to where you are and your population. But the important thing is, I felt the word substantial, not big, in as much as it's not just about numbers, okay, it's to do with the strength and stature of what is being built. This tree was substantial. It wasn't as big as some of these oak trees around, clearly, and it never will be because the lemon tree never grows that at all. But actually, this was substantial. It's not weedy and puny, not, you know, easily blown around. It was right up against this wall and had the strength of the wall behind it. And you will have the strength of Christ behind you to build something substantial so that, you know, to use yesterday's metaphor, you're not going to get blown around. And all that. This, this lemon tree was like, hey, is there a gale on today? I haven't noticed. I'm up against the wall here. The sun is shining and I'm protected. And that's what he's going to do with you. He didn't really speak to me, but you know. Lemon trees. Yeah. Um, I've lost where I'm in here now. That's right. Substantial. A church of stature. And I do believe, I, I, felt, this, I felt this last time I came to you, I felt you're going to attract people from cities. There's a few cities just across the water. Expect people to come over and join you. Okay, and then the third thing is a fruitful church. You uh, will bless not just cows, not just the Isle of Wight, but the nations. He's calling, you for, he's calling for fruitfulness. Um, and wherever people from Apex find themselves, there's going to be fruitfulness. 
And even for some of you, if you've kind of lacked fruitfulness, you think, I'm not really very fruitful. Am I fruitful? God says, actually, time of fruitfulness is coming into your life. And I felt God say this, um, you are about to enter a decade of fruitfulness. This is your 10th year. If you're nine years old, you're now in your 10th year. Okay, Coming into your 10th year, you're going to expect, expect a decade of fruitfulness. Quite what that looks like, we're going to find out. But there's some, so this is a kind of like a big thing. It's not like, you know, let's be fruitful this week. That was a nice week. God is about building something here, and he kind of he has longevity in mind. And then just finally to wrap up, uh, the reason the lemon tree was healthy and large and substantial and fruitful, all down to the fact that it was growing very close to the wall. And so um, you will be these things if you grow very close to Jesus. It's important that you're close to him. It's important that you are really, really up against him and not going out into somewhere where he isn't. Stick close to Jesus. Don't stray from him because it's in his shelter that you will be fruitful and drawing upon his life. So I just felt to share that with you. Um, And we won't read it. It's far too long. But John 15, 1 to 17 comes to my mind in all of that. So I hope that will bless you. God is building something here. Isn't that great? You know? God is building play. All over the world, God is building. He's building churches. He's raising them up. It's a beautiful thing. And we live in a day and a generation and a time when God is doing this around the world. And he's doing it in the UK. And he's doing it on the Alawite. And he's doing it in cows. And he's doing it in this very place. Isn't that wonderful? Okay. Okay, right. So, on to what I'm preaching about. Shaped by the prophetic. Let me just pray very quickly. Father, we just want to hear your voice this morning. We want to really know what you are saying to us. Lord, we want to, we want to be um, inspired, challenged, uh, released, and empowered to become all that you want us to be in Christ. We only have such a short little life. It's gone in a moment. The wind blows and life is gone. It, we're just here momentarily. And yet we have a great work to do while we're here. So, Lord, we want to be those who are diligent and working faithfully to bring glory to Jesus that will last for all eternity. So help us this morning. Uh, Strengthen us, I pray in Jesus' name. Okay, shaped by the prophetic. Um, In 1992, I was digging in my garden. I lived in Eastbourne then. And it wasn't a very big garden, but there I'm digging away. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I couldn't get out of my mind this idea that I should write to Terry Virgo. Those of you who don't know, Terry Virgo is the kind of the founding father, the apostolic figure of New Frontiers, what we were in before we, before we came into Regions Beyond. Obviously, Regions Beyond came out of New Frontiers. And, um, and so Terry is this great, you know, in my mind, um, I don't know, how old was I in 1992? I was a lot younger than I am now. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Terry's a big man of stature, and, and who am I digging in my garden? But I, I couldn't stop this feeling of you should write to Terry Virgo. And it wasn't just you should write to him, you know, how you doing, Terry? I'm Rodney, you don't know me. That would be a strange letter. I felt God very specifically tell me uh, to write to Terry Virgo and tell him to plant a church in Ipswich. Now, why Ipswich? Well, there is a connection because I'm from Ipswich. That's my hometown. So I kind of know Ipswich. And I knew that there wasn't, you know, I, I was in a New Frontiers church in Eastbourne. I'd been in one in Wimbledon. And I, I thought, wow, well, Ipswich could really do with kind of this kind of church 
in the town. But, but it wasn't me just making it up. It was like, it's like this kind of like this nagging thing that wouldn't, it was really annoying actually. It wouldn't go away. You know, right to Terry, right to Terry, plant in Ipswich. Go away, plant in Ipswich. I'm digging a garden. So I, I had, to, the only thing I could do was to stop and write the letter. There were no, uh, 1992, I think before emails. I don't know. I wasn't into it. If there, if it well, I'm sure emails weren't around. I certainly couldn't text him. Um, so I wrote a letter, good old-fashioned way of communication, found out where he lived, addressed it, and put it in the post. And I just thought, I've done it. I just had to do it. I, I, I couldn't think of any, you know, I couldn't get on and dig the garden. What I really wanted to do was dig the garden, not write to Terry. Um, but, you know, so this way I achieved both. So I got on and I finished whatever I was doing in the garden. And I thought, I'll never hear from Terry again. And... Um, Two weeks later, I actually I, I had a I had a letter come through the door, um, and it was from Terry Virgo. I opened it up, and it was a lovely, a very short letter, lovely letter. And he said, Rodney, something like this, um, Rodney, thank you very much for, for writing uh, the letter uh, the other week. Um, it landed on my doormat the morning I was meeting with some brothers about praying whether we should plant a church in Ipswich. Now, isn't that amazing? And God knows. What he wants. God, God will put the right, you know. And isn't it funny how he uses somebody, a stranger, how, you know, who kind of like, you know, who is, who's Rodney, you know? Who is he? Um, we don't know, but he's, he's just prophesied this, this thing. But it must have been so encouraging for Terry and the brothers to get this prophetic confirmation uh, to confirm this sense of the plant in the town. And do you know what? Shaped by the prophetic. That's kind of part, that kind of summarizes in many ways what we really mean by shaped by the prophetic. It's a value in regions beyond. But what does it look like? Does it just mean you know, writing random letters to key church leaders and, and, and hoping you've struck lucky? Um, is that what it is? And um, What does it look like? But I thought to myself when I was thinking about this, well, actually... A better question is, what does a church shaped by the prophetic look like? What does a church look like? And so uh, I, I scratched around for a bit, and then I felt God very clearly direct me uh, to the church in Antioch in the Bible as an example of what a church would look like. And I just want to take us through a little bit of the history of Antioch this morning and, and ask this question, what does it look like to be shaped by the prophetic? It was planted by unknown believers who fling persecution following Stephen's stoning. And then when the apostles in Jerusalem hear about it, we don't know how long it's been going before they hear, uh, they send Barnabas to investigate. And it's about a 320-mile journey, so it's not just kind of like up the road. So they send Barnabas. So I'm just going to read Acts 11, 23 to 30. And this is my base text for the morning. When he, that's Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There is so much in that and we can just scratch the surface of that passage. 
But in a moment, I want to draw three points out of that passage. Um, and they're fairly short points. But before I just draw those three points out, we just need to understand a little bit more about something that's going on here. Um, and so I want to ask the question, who exactly is Barnabas, first of all, uh, which will explain why he was sent by the apostles to Antioch. Now, Barnabas, a, a lot of people would know that in, in Acts 4, he's called the son of encouragement. And you think, okay, that's what Barnabas means, the son of encouragement. But actually, when you look into it, it's not a direct translation of his name. It's more like a nickname that highlighted his character. Oh, he's an encourager. He encouraged, let's call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. So that's what he was like as a person, but it's not actually what his name meant. Names are important in the Bible, particularly, I think, uh, back in antiquity. And um, the literal meaning of Barnabas is made up of two parts. Bar, meaning son of. You think the next bit will be Nabas, but it's Nebi. Uh, Bar meaning son of, and Nebi meaning prophet. Okay? So it's interesting, son of the prophet. But in Aramaic, son of more often refers to someone who possesses a certain skill or vocation rather than an offspring. So when it says son of the prophet, it probably doesn't mean his father was a prophet and he's just the prophet's son. Actually, it means this was his skill. This was his vocation. This guy's a prophet. And I think as you look through the New Testament, it's quite obvious as you see a number of characteristics. So Barnabas was a prophet. And having established that this is a work of the Spirit, he then goes and gets Saul, who's an apostle, to work alongside him. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul writes that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so prophets and apostles work together in laying foundations in a church. And I believe that's why the apostles sent Barnabas. They're sending a prophet down to look at the foundations of the church. They've heard something's going on. They want to, if I say check it out, it sounds a bit flippant. They want to make sure that it's on good footing. That's what's happening here. And Barnabas knows that, which is why he then brings in Saul, who happens to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and there's an awful lot of Gentiles getting converted in Antioch. So I think there's a link there as well. Um, but it's more than just what is taught or prophesied. Dave Devonish says this. Let me just read a quote from his book, Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission. He says, Paul does not say that the church is founded simply upon what the apostles taught, but that it is founded on, upon the apostles and prophets themselves. I believe this scripture shows us that apostles and prophets are foundational ministries to the church relationally and personally, and that they bring a revelation of truth that is to be in the foundation of all local churches. So the prophet himself is a gift. You want to know what's the difference between a prophet and prophesying? Prophesying is an activity. A prophet is the gift. So when you prophesy, the gift is prophesying. It's the word that you bring. But a prophet is not somebody that prophesies a lot. A prophet is the gift. They're the one. They're the gift. There's a big difference there. Um, so, and the prophet not only teaches apostolic doctrine, but relationally brings his gift to shape a church. So it's in relationship, which we're going to come on to in a minute. So let's draw out three ways in which Antioch is shaped by Barnabas' prophetic gift. Okay, so first one is this, prophetic culture. In verse 24, we read, For he was a good man, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So, as well as helping to lay the foundational truths, prophetic gifting brings with it a faith for the things of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? And the role of the prophet is to create a dynamic, spirit-filled culture where prophecy and other spiritual gifts can flourish. You know, it's all about flourishing. It's getting the right setting. That lemon tree was going so well because it was flourishing in the right setting. All the conditions were right for it. And so part of the role of prophetic ministry is to create the right environment so the spirit, he can, he's released amongst us. And, and, and gifts can flow in the church. Um, so um, at Jubilee uh, in Worthing, just to say that one of the ways I've tried to do this, I've, I've done various things, but actually um, I've taught courses on the prophetic, but more significantly I think is just gathering prophetic people. I just started gathering people that had a prophetic gifting, and I said, just, just, just meet together and explore this. Let's just have a go. Let's just have some fun, is kind of like probably how I, how I phrased it. And you know what? It's amazing to see how releasing it is for, for, for people with a, with a strong prophetic gifting just to sit in a room and chat and realize they're normal. Because sometimes people with prophetic gifting have the most strangest things going through their head. They have the, the weirdest, almost quirkiest ideas. And the danger is that we can marginalize that and push it away. And that doesn't help the gift to grow. It creates, funnily enough, it creates a bit of antagonism and, and it create, it'll create more problems for you. Um, actually, what you want to do is you want to gather it. And as I gathered the prophetic gifting, I, I just began to see people getting released. I mean, I, I've just finished gathering one other group just recently and um, this lady, she's got a, a, a very um, unusual gift. Her gift is she goes up and she touches people and when she touches them, then God comes. She has no words. Words sometimes come afterwards. But I, I was watching her going around and touching people, and they're suddenly crying. And she wasn't, you know. And I think, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you squeezing too hard. But, I, 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 but you know, you got to you got to gather those kind of things. Some of them, are, some of them are very strange. In the Toronto blessing, there were some very strange things going on. There was a guy moving on the floor. He was looking like some bug, you know, just going around like that all the time. What on earth is that about? I, 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 in the Toronto Bessies years ago in Eastbourne, so I was not my notes, um, so it was dangerous and not my notes. Um, I, 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 you know, this lady was prophesying. Every time she prophesied, she'd spit in a bucket. She prophesied, she'd go, Zip. you know, a good old humdinger. She prophesied again, Ding. what is going on? Do you know, she gave me one of the most accurate prophecies I've ever had in my life. I don't care if she spits in a bucket, if she gives me the word. I like the bucket to be there, not me, but. <laughs> so prophetic stuff can be weird. But that's okay. It's not wrong just because it's unusual. And you need to gather people and build them together and help them. And that begins to create a culture. And so you create a safe place where people feel at home, people feel comfortable and confident. But obviously you have to create that not just in your sitting room on a Monday evening, which is what I tended to do. You need to create it in the church as well so that the gift can flourish. Um, so we share stories, we pray, we prophesy. What we do, this is important, we celebrate taking risk, whatever the outcome. We don't celebrate how accurate you were in your prophecy. We celebrate the fact you took a risk. Because if you only celebrate accuracy, you set a bar that nobody can ever reach. Because suddenly the person most ahead sets the bar and it's hard then to kind of, you know, you get into competition really. Actually, you celebrate success. You, sorry, you, not success. You celebrate having a go is what I meant to say. Whether it's successful or not. And my role in all of that was to, was to call out the gifting I saw and fan it into flame. And I'm sure 
Barnabas would have created in his own way, because I'm sure he didn't do it the way I did, but in his own way, he would have created a prophetic culture. I'm confident of it for when we, what we look at in our conclusion. And encouragement and faith go together. And we know Barnabas had, Barnabas had both these qualities. He was an encourager, son of encouragement. But it says uh, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. So we know he's an encourager and a man of faith. And I'm sure what he's doing is helping the young church to believe God. Believe God for more, for bigger, for greater, for destiny. Because God has a destiny over you here in Apex. He has a destiny. He has a place in history for you. That's what he has for all churches. This is the most amazing thing that's happening on the planet Earth, is building the local church. This is where it's happening. It's not happening in Trump Tower or in North Korea or wherever you want to, or in Brexit. You know, things going on there, but that's not, this is, this is where it's happening, in the local church. And you have destiny. And Barnabas, I'm sure, would have called forth destiny, which we'll look at um, in a few moments. So that's the first thing, prophetic culture. Second thing is prophetic friendship. Uh, in verse 27, it says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. The question is this. This is the question I asked when I read that. Did these prophets just turn up unannounced? Like a company of Old Testament prophets roaming the countryside. Which is the danger that we read that into it. Because we have an Old Testament kind of model, the danger is suddenly we're going to read something into that in the New Testament. Did they do that? Or were they invited? There's a question. It's good to ask questions, isn't it? Do you know, we know Barnabas was a relational man. He'd already befriended Saul. He then presents Saul um, to the apostles in Jerusalem. And now he has Saul working alongside him in Antioch. So you begin to see the relationship. He's an encourager, son of encouragement. You know, encouragers tend to be relational, don't they? So we know he's a relational man. So Barnabas, from what we see of him operating with Saul, when, when nobody else would touch Saul for a while as well, Barnabas, you know, he could spot gifting and redeploy it where it was needed. That's what it tells me. And we know that these prophets were from Jerusalem. The Bible says so. And that's Barnabas' ascending church, because that's where he came from, Jerusalem. So I reckon he almost certainly knew them very well. And there's only about, you know, we don't even know what the length of time is, but it's, it's, it's unlikely to have been more than a year reading uh, some of the other scriptures and the timelines. So I think it is not unreasonable, therefore, to conclude that this team of prophets arrived at the request of Barnabas. Because we have nothing to suggest that actually they, there's a team of, the group of prophets just roaming around. The trouble is we read that into it because of the Old Testament. But it doesn't say that anywhere. I think this is a relational invitation where Barnabas knew what the church needed at this stage. Just like he knew this church needs Saul. This church needs an apostle. I can't do it all. I need an apostle. Together we can build some foundations here. And I think he's looking at this church thinking, do you know what? Wouldn't it be great if Agabus and his group came down? His prophetic community came down. So that's my, that's my suggestion here. Um, it's so important that ministries are received out of relationship and friendship. It's a really important thing. And this is the New Testament way, which is another reason why I think that. Rather than 
imposed or self-invited ministry. Sometimes ministry can be imposed on you, or it can just turn up and say, hey, I'm this, give me a platform. It's so important that it's to do with relationship. And you know, a leader's job, a church leader's job is to, is to develop genuine friendship with wider ministries and giftings and then introduce them to the local congregation to serve and build up according to the needs. And I know that's what Mark is doing with you here uh, in Apex. And it's important because this is the way we avoid creating what I call a celebrity ministry culture, which is a big danger, I think, in our nation. And it's become a bigger danger, you know, with maybe with God TV. There's some good stuff on God TV and there's some rubbish stuff. And you've got to be wise with it. And, and the internet and all of that. And, and just the, kind of like our separate celebrity culture that we live in, really. Where you get these big names, they turn up, they put on a big show. Actually, they produce very little growth in your local church. Years ago, I remember this guy. Um, in the days of Rodney Howe Brown, when he was... Um, you know, doing his thing. I don't know if you remember that. And he was in London, I remember. I went to see Rodney Howard Brown in London. Quite an interesting experience that was. And, um, but this guy turned up at our church. He was a Rodney Howard Brown lookalike. He looked just like him. He dressed like him. His hair was like him. He spoke like him. He was copying him. And it was interesting because there were people in the church running, oh, have you seen this guy? Oh, he's wonderful. Just like Rodney, haven't Rodney have Brown in your church? And they, they went to see him at this church, and they, let's go and see him at that church. And then they managed to get him to come to our church. And so he turns up. His name was Michael Myers, which I think is hilarious because he's, I'm sure he's the guy who's the baddie on the Halloween movie. <laughs> but he wasn't that bad. But um, having said that, he turns up and he just kind of puts on this show. And I'm sitting there and everything in me is saying, this is not right. I'm sitting there thinking, there's something really wrong here. And I saw this couple walk out. He, he kind of offended them and they walked out and he kind, of, he kind of made an offensive remark as they walked out. And I'm thinking... These are good people in the church, and you're just coming in our church, and you are offending them. But this is wrong. This is like celebrity ministry coming up and imposing itself. And um, I wasn't a leader in the church or anything in those days. I'm not even sure I was a small group leader then, but I knew there was something wrong. And do you know what? It's, it's, it's by invitation relationally that we avoid these strange moments and these, you know, the big person comes and does the big ministry. Don't go down that line. It doesn't build. It doesn't produce fruit. Fruit comes out of relationship. Okay, and then the third thing, just to pour out, the last point I want to make is this. Prophetic words. So when gifting is received out of relationship, prophecies come with a greater impact and fruitfulness. They really do. It's out of relationship. And so it says in Acts uh, 28, verse 28 and 29, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And so the church responds to Agabus' prophecy with real faith. Isn't it amazing what they did? Because they trusted him. Because he's a friend of Barnabas. He comes from Barnabas' church. And we've seen what Barnabas has done. We've seen what he's doing with our church. We've seen what a leader he is and how he's beginning to shape us and help us. Hey, this guy can attest to Barnabas, to, to Agabus. And so it comes with a real impact. And it wasn't just about money. It's quite interesting because it would have shaped their whole understanding of the kingdom of God as they learned the importance of serving the poor beyond their immediate city. 
um, it showed them how in Christ they're a worldwide family. So this isn't just a prophetic word that comes. This is something that begins to help them understand what their identity is. Do you know, some prophecies, they're just for the moment. They're just a good prophecy just in this moment in time. Um, other prophecies kind of shape your next season. And, and, and you're about to launch into a season and actually a prophetic word will come and help us in that. But some prophecies become life-defining words that begin to shape either an individual's life or maybe the life of a whole church. And it's fascinating, in Jubilee, we have been so shaped by so many key prophetic words. It would take me quite a long time just to go through, uh, through them. Um, but even recently, even this year, <coughs> we had a fresh prophetic word came from a guy uh, from the group that I, I, I kind of host, um, who's really grown in the prophetic beautifully in the last few months. And he suddenly brings this word to, to the church about becoming instrumental in planting five local churches within an hour's drive. That's a big word. Do you know what? We've been shaped by it. We've listened to it. We've weighed it. We've believed it. It's important to weigh it, of course. Please do weigh prophetic words. It's not the word of God. It sits under the word of God. The word of God is, is always supreme. But prophecy should always affirm the word of God. And, 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 they, and, and we weighed it, and we felt God is speaking. And it fitted in as a jigsaw piece with so many other things that have been said, which is another way of weighing it, is the how has it come before? Have we had something? Does this fit in? It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but does it fit in? It kind of fits like a jigsaw in that. And so in 2018, we are planting our first church in Littlehampton, which will then be the nearest regions beyond church to you. Because <laughs> it's, it's about 10 miles nearer. So there you go. We're planting it. An elder from our church and his wife and the family there are relocating in 2018. And so it's all exciting. It's all happening. And of course, there's a buzz now. Where's the next one going to be? Where's the next one? We don't know yet. We're going to hear God. The effect of Agabus's word on Antioch was not just to send money, but in the end, it released Barnabas and Saul for this short season um, because they go to Jerusalem with this gift. And do you know what God is doing? He's preparing Antioch for something bigger. So they release Barnabas and Saul for a short-term trip because they do come back again to Antioch. But actually, God has got something bigger in mind. You know, that's such an important principle. God has always got the next thing in mind. I was thinking that, Hannah, when you were just sharing. And you don't go through experiences for no reason. God, in his grace, allows us to go through all sorts of, sometimes obviously very, very challenging situations, but he has something in mind. He has something ahead. He has a reason. There's always a purpose. Nothing is wasted. And so even, and as for, it's the same for churches. They go through something because God is preparing them for something else. I've just learned that, I guess, through, I don't know how many years I've been a Christian, eight, since, since 1986 That's when I became a Christian. It's got to be about 31 years, something like that. How about that? 31 years old. Um, still a young man. So, <laughs> I like that. I'm just I'm 31 from now on. It's going to be much better, isn't it? So, okay, so my conclusion, which could easily be its point in its own right. My conclusion is this. Having received all this prophetic input, how did it shape Antioch? How did Antioch, in the end, get shaped by these three things? There are a few more things we could have drawn out. You know, just two chapters later in chapter 13, verse 1, we read that this, Now there were in the church, Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. So we know Saul and Barnabas have come back to Antioch because 
It says it two chapters later, that's where they are. Interesting, isn't it? Prophets and teachers. Very interesting. Um, This is weighty prophetic leadership, isn't it? How Barnabas has shaped Antioch is actually there is now weighty prophetic leadership because the writer in the Bible records teachers and prophets. This is heavy on the prophetic. So that's in itself one way how it's been shaped. Can you imagine the atmosphere? Can you imagine the anticipation? As, you know, these guys, and there'll be women in there as well, wanting to kind of bring prophetic words, wanting to kind of, you know, it's this, this church is, you feel like, when you read, you know, even just Acts 13.1, you feel like Antioch is just bursting and waiting for something glorious. And then verse 2 and 3 say this, while they were worshipping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Um, Without going into the reasons why, um, John Stott and others, and I I tend to agree with them, say that actually the Holy Spirit spoke to the whole church there, not to the group, because you could read it, they just spoke to those group of apostles. Actually, the whole church was spoken to. And what happens is, Out of that moment, a church planting movement is birthed. And I believe that's the fruit of being shaped by the prophetic in this context. It was shaped and prepared because Antioch had a destiny to become a church planting movement. The base for which Saul and others would go and change the whole world at that time. Isn't it interesting? Antioch, I'm I'm sure it was a great church when the unknown believers planted it. I'm sure there was life there. But actually, God sent a Barnabas. And God sent a Saul because Barnabas got Saul. And God sent a group of, a team of prophets from Jerusalem. And God was shaping Antioch because it had a destiny. It had a destiny of something much bigger than just a group of believers coming and meeting together. Antioch was going to affect the whole world, the, the then known world. Antioch was going to shape, I guess, what they would have called the civilized world at that time. A church planting movement was coming out, and that is the fruit of what Barnabas is doing here. And after weighing the word by prayer and fasting, they send out Saul and Barnabas. Do you know, this was very costly to Antioch, wasn't it? Because these guys, their fathers in the church, you know, they didn't send out Lucius and... Uh, Simeon, on that occasion, sent out Saul and Barnabas. The, you know, they're not exactly the founding fathers, but they are the fathers in the church. That was costly. Do you know what? A church shaped by the prophetic will release resources. It will release money and members and leadership gifting. Because the prophetic helps us to understand the bigger picture of the mission of Jesus. And it also, it propels us into that mission. It thrusts us into that mission. Do you know, it's, it's risky being shaped by the prophetic. It is a risky business. If you want to shape a safe church, do not release the prophetic in your church. If you want to be nice and comfortable, and it's lovely every Sunday, and we just want to live a lovely, nice life here on the island, do not release the prophetic. You've got to muzzle it at every opportunity. Because if you release the prophetic, you will become a dangerous community. A risky thing. But do you know what? The rewards are huge. 
The rewards are incredible. So, um, in 2015, very much near the end now, in 2015, as a church, we released Colin Nichols, um, who was leading the church then to go and plant a church in Bloemfontein and actually become uh, very much an apostolic figure in the southern African setting. So, we took a risk. Why did we do it? We did it because of the prophetic. We did it because of the prophetic through Steve Oliver uh, coming and, 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 and affecting us as a church and bringing, you know, bringing this prophetic challenge to us. But you know what? It's done other things as well. Because you could, you know, there was a big cost to us as a church. Colin had been leading for like 10 or 11 years. You know, he was very much loved. And we could have hung on to Colin for another 10 or 11 years and very much loved him. But you know what? There's a bigger mission. There's a bigger mission. God wants to change the whole world. And because we released Colin, we've raised up this other guy called Alex. And so we now have a guy who's um, 27 years old leading the church, which is great. I'm proud of it. I think it's great. Guy in his 20s leading the church. So we've raised up Alex, and Alex has found the space to grow and become a real man of stature, and we're still looking and watching at what God is going to do with his life. And we're planting more churches. We're now planting Littlehampton, and there's going to be more coming. I don't think it's going to stop at five, but we'll set five can be our first marker. We're planting, and we are releasing prophetic gifting to serve in the wider. So I'm able to come here. So I transition the church from Colin to Alex. Um, and actually, because I'm thinking, actually, God, I want you, you know, God wants to release me. Steve said, we've got to release the prophets. Um, so it's exciting and it's risky. It's costly, but the rewards are great. Do you know what? As a consequence of Antioch releasing Saul and Barnabas, the gospel went out to Turkey and then later to Greece and Macedonia. It was so effective that Paul says in Romans, there is no longer any room for him to preach the gospel. He says in Romans 15, 19, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is Croatia, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Because the church was shaped by this prophet called Barnabas, who drew in other gifting, and Antioch became a church uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the birth to church planting movement. And the gospel goes out. What great rewards they are. If they had held on, none of this would have happened. So I just want to ask the question. I'm going to pray over some people in a minute, but I just want to ask the question. Apex Church, will you allow God's prophetic voice to shape you? Will you allow it? The greatest prophetic words will come from within you. They'll come from within the body. They won't come from a visiting preacher. There might be a few reasonable good ones, particularly about lemon trees. But <laughs> the best words will come, the, the most shaping words will come from within you. Will you allow God's prophetic voice to shape you? It is risky. But you know, what will God do with you? What will God do with you?